going to begin with verse 12, verse 12 of chapter 1. Prior to beginning our lesson and our study, let's uh, pause for a word of prayer. Our Father and God, we're so thankful for today, for the blessings of the day. Father, we're especially thankful for the beauties of this day after going through the storm the other night and knowing that so many people were injured or so much property was torn up. To see your beautiful creation and the way you cared for mankind is just amazing to each one of us. We thank you for the chance to be here tonight with our brothers and sisters who have come together to glorify your name, to study from your word, to learn more about you. We pray for those who are ill, for those who could not be here tonight. We pray for those who are viewing with us on YouTube, streaming live with us tonight. We pray for all of our teachers tonight who've studied their lessons and are prepared to bring lessons to their students. Pray for each person here that you forgive us of our sins. We thank you for Jesus, for all that he's done, that he continues to do in our lives. And we pray in his name. Amen. <clears throat> so, beginning with verse 12 of Philippians chapter 1. But I want you to know, brethren, uh, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out, for, to me, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed to the defense of the gospel. What then, when that is in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that there will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> according to my earnest expectations and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness and always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet I shall choose, I cannot, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. <clears throat> and being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you, all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now uh, here is in me 
to me. So we have the reading of, of the rest of chapter 1. We'll try to do our best to cover the rest of these verses tonight. <clears throat> so we finally find Paul getting to Rome. Back over, if you read the book of Romans, you'll find that Paul had a desire to go to Rome. More than one time in that book, he, he indicated that he wanted to preach in Rome. And, and, and you might think, well, why Rome? Well, there's a couple of things. Paul did not establish the church in Rome. The church in Rome was established, I'm not sure how, but perhaps by the dispersion of Christians from Jerusalem. <clears throat> but Paul didn't establish the church there. But we all know that Rome, Rome at that time in the world was the, was the capital, was the capital of the Roman Empire, right? And so Paul knew that there were a great number of people in Rome, and he wanted to have the chance to go to Rome and to preach the gospel. Only the thing was, he didn't know that he would end up going to Rome as a prisoner, as a prisoner. Well, as it turns out, as we see through our study for the book of Philippians, that doesn't turn out to be such a bad deal. In fact, it may turn out to be a really good deal. In fact, Paul even says in this reading tonight that all those things that have happened to me have turned out to further the gospel, have helped me to proclaim the word of Christ. He says, so I want you to know, brethren, and he just kind of summarizes those, he says, those things, those things that have happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. I'm, I'm wondering if Paul was thinking about some of the things that had happened to him in his life, when he says, those things that have happened to me, he could possibly have been talking about those things that happened to him when he was in Philippi. But he could have been talking about those things that have happened to him since he became a Christian and was converted to Christ and, and started preaching the gospel. When you go back and read through some of those things, and we're going to take a look at them tonight, you will see that Paul has suffered a lot by being a by being a preacher, <clears throat> at being and preaching, proclaiming the word of God. He has gone through much more than the average person probably would have ever gone through. And we'll talk about some of those things later. So Paul, of course, as he writes back to the Philippians there, uh, he's, telling, he's kind of bringing them up to date about his situation because uh, we talked last week about the fact that the brethren in Philippi, whenever Paul went to Philippi, Philippi and started preaching the gospel and started the church there, he says that they alone joined him in the beginning in preaching the gospel. In other words, they helped support Paul from the very beginning. Not only did they do that from the very beginning, but a couple more times uh, did they, when he was in Thessalonica, they sent relief to Paul. And so whenever he's in Rome in prison and they find out about that, they're going to send some more help. And well, they're going to send help, especially in the form of a person by the name of Epaphroditus and how he's going to help Paul there. So Paul says, we're, we're, we're partners in this gospel, in preaching the gospel. And he wants to thank them for all that they've done. He continues to solicit their help through prayer. You'll notice that even in the reading of the, the, the verses tonight, he said a couple of times, by your prayers, by your prayers, I, I think this is going to happen, or I hope this will happen or I hope that I'm able to come back to see you. So he knows that there is power in prayer, and he knows that he wants his brother there to continue to pray for him. So he says in verse 13, so that it, he has become, it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. 
And interesting enough, when, when Paul, Paul gets to Rome as a prisoner, he, you remember he's been in prison already for two years when he gets to Rome. But he's appealed, to, uh, made his plight or his appeal to Caesar based upon his Roman citizenship. He's want to uh, go, go to plead his case before, before the justice system in, in Rome. So uh, when he gets there, uh, as, as a prisoner, as a prisoner, we, we find that he's chained to the palace guard. Uh, and that's kind of, kind of interesting because whenever Paul wrote to the church, whenever he wrote to Philemon, over in the book of Philemon, which, by the way, that's another one of his prison epistles, Paul would write, they would write a Paul, Paul the aged. So Paul's getting on up in years. And I'm just wondering, why would you hate and chain an older preacher to a guard. I mean, do you think that they thought Paul was perhaps that violent of a person? That, that they had Was he that important of a prisoner? Was there a chance he was going to escape? I don't know. But that's what it was. But as it turns out, even that doesn't turn out to be a bad deal for Paul. Because, you see, as it turns out, the palace guard, they, they rotated in six-hour shifts, according to history, they rotated in six-hour shifts of being chained to this prison. So four times a day, Paul had a new person to preach to. And, and I believe with all my heart that that's exactly what Paul would do when he was in prison. Remember when he was at Philippi with Silas in prison. And around midnight, they were singing and praying to God when the earthquake came, and, and the, they're all their chains were loosened, and, and the the, the prison guard there thought they had escaped, and Paul said, no, we haven't, and, and he and his household later hear the truth and are baptized and become Christians, become some of the first converts along with Lydia there in Philippi. Uh, so he's already had, he, he's kind of had this idea about, about Paul and him there. But anyway, so when he comes to the palace guard, and I have no doubt that Paul wouldn't do the same thing in Rome, as he did in Philippi, when he was in prison there. He would be singing and praising God and thanking God for all that God had done for him. In fact, he even points out in this reading here that he said, you know, all of those things that have happened to me, I really count, I count them as nothing. I count them as nothing. It, he said, because of, of my uh, ability to preach the gospel and my ability to be a Christian, be a child of God. Paul probably had a very, space, very special place in his heart in thinking about the fact that he was a Christian. Uh, we remember how he was converted and what he was doing prior to his conversion. He was actually punishing Christians and putting Christians in, in prison until he meets God. Uh, whenever he does meet God and, and, and Jesus on the road to Damascus and he's converted to Christ, he becomes a different person. And Paul knows he owes this. He owes his whole being to Christ Jesus. And he says, I, I'm going to live to preach Christ Jesus. I'm going to live to teach other people the gospel. I'm going to live to establish his church. And that's what he wants to do. Uh, so, in verse 14, he says, And most of the brethren and the Lord, having become confident by my chance, are much more bold to speak the word uh, without fear. As I had said, Paul, 
Paul didn't establish the church in Rome. There were preachers of the gospel in Rome when Paul comes there as a prisoner. And so Paul says, whenever these other preachers see that I'm here in prison and I'm still praising God, singing songs of praise to him, worshiping God, studying God, teaching his word, and they see what I'm doing in prison, it gives them boldness to be able to stand on the outside and teach people face to face. He says, so again, I think this is one way he's pointing to the fact that, that, that the gospel is not hindered by Paul being in prison. It may be actually being spread a little bit more, a little bit faster. He said, but these preachers now on the outside, they're bold to stand up and speak for Christ Jesus and for Christianity. But he said, not all of them. Not all of them. He says in verse 14, he says, some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. So there were some of those preachers out there that were preaching preaching Christ, but not with the correct motive. In other words, their motive was perhaps thinking that, hey, look, look at Paul. You know, he, he's a preacher, and he's, he's in prison. He's a prisoner. He's locked up. So maybe they were preaching Christ and thinking that that was going to somehow or another hurt Paul. But, it, but he said some are like that, but then some of them are preaching Christianity out of goodwill. He says, so the former, that's those who are preaching out of envy and strife, preach Christ from selfish ambition and, and not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. So their thinking was perhaps that maybe they could, they could uh, kind of uh, add to Paul's sorrows, add to his problems by preaching the gospel while he's locked up in prison. Little did they know, perhaps, that while Paul was in prison, he was still preaching the gospel. You know, not only did Paul have the chance to teach those prisoners he was tied to, but think of all the people who had come to visit Paul. Uh, we find out in, in the last couple of chapters of Acts that Paul well, actually got a chance to live in, a, in his own quarters while he was in Rome, the last part, and that he had visitors that came to see him while he was there. And so Paul would have the chance, well, even Timothy. We know that Timothy visits Paul in prison there, and Epaphroditus, like I said earlier. He says, so he says, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Um, you, you know, you want to, we kind of go back and think about Paul's conversion. Remember when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, and in fact, he struck blind on that road, and, and the Lord speaks to one Ananias and says, you need to go to such and such a place and find Paul, on the straight call straight, find Paul, call Saul, and, and Ananias says, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, isn't this the same guy that's been persecuting the church? Yeah, no, the same guy that's been hunting Christians and locking them up? And the Lord said, you know, if you look back over there in Acts chapter 9, and I didn't have this mark, but I think it's really interesting to note God has a plan for Paul from the very beginning. He says in verse 15, um, what, first he says, and here he has, a, verse 14 of chapter 9, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. <clears throat> but the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen festival of mine, 
to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And I will show him, listen to this, maybe this is a preview of what Christ Jesus knows is going to happen to Paul. He says, I will show him the things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was going to suffer in his life as a Christian, as a preacher of the gospel. But, but, but he was a special appointed person, an apostle, special appointed apostle to carry the gospel to Gentiles. And Jesus himself said, he is going to bear my name. He is going to talk about me before kings and governors and for pe- people in high places. And we find that here he is in Rome, and he may even get a chance to speak to the, the highest authorities in Rome while he's there in his defense. He says, um, but so Paul was that special person, and he's appointed to not only preach the gospel, but he's also going to be able to defend the gospel. Those things, when people rose up and made, made said evil things about the church or tried to cast stones upon the church or uh, make accusations against Paul, Paul was able to stand with his education, being the Jew that he was, and he could defend the truth. He would say, you guys are wrong. You guys are wrong about what you think about the church because this is, this is, the, this is the Savior that was promised back in the Old Testament. And so Paul was able to defend the gospel probably like nobody else possibly could. In verse 18, he says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, you might think it might make me mad that someone preached the gospel with the wrong motivation. He said, not so. Not so. It doesn't make me angry that someone has the wrong motivation. What's important is this. The gospel is preached. That's what's important. And that's what I'm concerned about is just getting the gospel. Probably Paul in his condition as a prisoner was, was very happy that the, the preachers on the outside were mold, more bold now to preach the gospel than they had been. Perhaps they had, uh, for fear of what might happen to Christians, uh, perhaps even fear in seeing Paul, the apostle, locked up, maybe were holding back a little bit. Maybe they weren't proclaiming the gospel the way they should have. But Paul says now they, they boldly stand on the corners and proclaim Christ Jesus. And he said, that makes me happy. Whoops. That makes me happy. Sorry about that. He said, I will rejoice in that. Uh, We've talked about the fact that the book of Philippians is is a book about joy. And it's about a a good, an apostle Paul writing to his dear friends in Philippi and telling them about how happy he is for them and how proud he is of them and how he wants them to stand strong and to go stronger every single day. You remember back over in the first part of the chapter, he would say that uh, in verse 9, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, and this I pray, Paul would say, this is my prayer, okay, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. His prayer for them was that they would become stronger in the truth. Their, Their knowledge would grow in Christ Jesus. They would be able to stand and defend the truth and they would be able to use those things that they had to, to listen to what was being taught and know when it was true and when it wasn't true. So Paul prayed for his brethren there. 
And, and verse four, 19, he says, uh, And for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't know... I don't know that Paul knew what his verdict was going to be when he stood before magistrate. I know what he wanted to happen. He wanted to be set free. And, and, and you know that because he says he wants to go back to Philippi and to see the brethren there. And he says in verse 19, he says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. I don't know how he could possibly know what was going to happen, but I think it was his hope. It was his desire that he get the verdict that would allow him to be set free, that he would be able to go about preaching and teaching the Word of God. And he says, I want you to continue to pray for this. I solicit your prayers for this to happen, but also not only your prayers, but also help that might be supplied by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. In verse 20, according to my earnest expectations and hope, that in nothing I'll be ashamed, but with all boldness, and as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So, again, Paul is talking about his expectations, those things that he wants to happen. He says, I don't know, but it's my hope, it's my expectations that... And, and nothing I will be ashamed. Perhaps Paul was thinking about that time that he was going to stand before magistrate. And when he was going to defend the gospel, when he's going to preach, maybe get a chance to talk about those things that he had done and why he was doing this. And, and Paul would say, I would hope that I will be able to stand before magistrate and be bold in what I have to say. That I will stand firm and that I will be able to that I will be given the right words in my defense so that I could be set free. He makes this interesting. He says, always, so now also, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. How, how would a person magnify Christ in your body? Can you think how that might happen? When you magnify something, what is it? You, you, you take a magnifying glass, you put it over small writing. I thought I was going to need one tonight and read my Bible. I thought, I think somebody shrunk the words on my page here. I thought I was going to need a magnifying glass. But when you magnify something, you make it larger, right? Well, how could Paul actually make Jesus larger than he was? Anybody have any idea how he might do that? Maybe, just maybe he could do that by living the kind of a life a Christian should live. When, when people saw Paul and the life that he lived, the things that he suffered, and how he continued to preach the gospel, maybe they would say, wow, you know? And, and Paul would say, I don't do this for my glory. I, I don't do this to make myself larger. I do it because this is what I need to do. In fact, he says, I have to to preach the gospel. Out of necessity, I must preach the gospel. And he says, by living that kind of life, and I, I think the same thing could happen to you and I today. I, I think if we live a Christian life, people will see a different person in you than we'd see in the world. You would stand out. People would wonder, they would scratch their heads and say, 
What, what makes this person tick? What is it about him that makes him different than other people? He doesn't talk like other people. He doesn't carouse like other people. He doesn't go drinking like other people. But, but he always seems to have a smile on his face or he seems to be happy. He always seems to be optimistic. That's one thing you can certainly say about Paul. He was certainly an optimist, wasn't he? Even while he's in prison and chains, he says, I'm looking forward to the day when I'm free from these chains and I can go back and visit the brethren in Philippi. So he was very optimistic, and he said, that's my hope. That's my expectation. That's what I expect to happen from this life. He says that I magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul starts this interesting little, it's called Paul's soliloquy, these next couple of verses here. It's about where Paul seems to be struggling with himself or, or having this discussion with himself, trying to decide, what would be better, to live or to die? So he says uh, that it, he says he wants to magnify Christ and his Father, and he says, I can do that whether I live or whether I die. So how does he do that? He said, so in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. W wouldn't that be a wonderful way to end your life, to be able to say that? For me to live is Christ. But for me to die is gain. How could Paul do that? Well, let's think about that. If he dies, how is Paul going to gain from death? The same way that you and I will if we live a Christian life and we're faithful unto death. What are we going to gain? We're going to gain a spiritual home in heaven with God and Christ Jesus and all the saints that have gone before us. Isn't that going to be gain? Go to a place where there's no more suffering, where there's no more tears, there's no more sorrow. When we read through the, the, the Bible's pages and we read about descriptions of heaven and we read through the book of Revelations and we see how wonderful heaven is going to be. It's going to be a pleasure to go there. It's not going to be a problem. It's going to be a pleasure. And so for us to die as a Christian... And having lived a Christian life and to receive that reward, Paul says, that's, that's going to be a blessing for me in my life. So if, if that's the case to die, it looks like the choice would be, well, let's just die and get on with it, right? Let's go get that reward. But unlike uh, some people today uh, with um, euthanasia, and euthanasia, you know, it's called mercy killing, Right? where people make that decision and then they do something or cause someone to do something to end their life, Paul wasn't going to do that. He wasn't going to end his life. He was going to allow his life to end the way that God had it in mind to end. And then he would receive his reward at that point. He wasn't, gonna, he wasn't going to hasten death. But he said, but when it comes, I'm going to welcome him. I'm not going to be sad to live this, leave this world. I'm not going to be sad to leave this suffering. I, I will probably be sad to leave my brothers and sisters here that I've known in the churches where I've established, but, but I will be happy to go on to my reward. So how does Paul benefit if he lives? So we know how he benefits if he dies, but how does he benefit if he lives? He gets to continue to preach the gospel. Yeah. Yeah, he gets to... He gets to go back and write some more letters, maybe. Maybe go establish another church or take another missionary journey. or Who knows what God has in store for him, right? 
But he says, so not only will it, will it benefit me and that I will get to continue to preach Christ, but who else benefits? Everybody that meets Paul will benefit if he lives. And anybody uh, where Paul preaches the gospel, these prisoners who Paul's preaching to benefit from Paul living because they get to hear the truth. They get to hear the gospel. And I have no doubt but what some of these prisoners are converted. Whenever uh, you, you read in the last chapter of, of Philippians, he starts talking about that the, the Praetorian Guard and the Royal Guard and having been preached in, preaching in Caesar's house. I, I have no doubt probably that some of those converts to Christianity were some of those prison guards who were tied to chained to, to Paul. I just have to believe that's so, even though we don't have that stated anywhere. But in verse 22, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor, yet I shall choose what I shall choose, I cannot tell. So again, how does Paul benefit by living? Well, not only does Paul benefit, but so does everyone he preaches and teaches. They benefit too. And he says, and this will this will bring uh, individuals, Christians into the kingdom. People will get to hear the gospel, will hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. Their faith will be established. They will come to know Jesus. They'll be baptized. The church will grow. And everybody is going to benefit if Paul continues to live. And he continues to have the opportunity to preach his gospel. So that's what he's talking about. Fruit from his labor. Fruit from his labor is talking about those who are converted because of the message he has preached. And once again, Paul would never say, I do this for my own glory. I do this for the glory of Christ. He says, I do this because this is what I owe to Christ Jesus. Because of who I was, you remember how Paul would describe himself in some of his letters? He says, of sinners, I was the chief sinner. Paul probably never really forgave himself for what he did to the church and to Christians before he became a Christian. I believe well, that was one of the problems Paul had to live with all of his life. Yeah, I think that was probably one of them. So he says, uh, he says, for, I, I say, what, what I shall choose, I cannot tell. And I, and I think really what Paul is saying here is, whatever God chooses is going to be fine with me. If he chooses to take me now, I'm ready to go. If he chooses to allow me to live and to continue to preach the gospel, I'm thankful for that, and I will be happy to do that. He says in verse 23, For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart from and be with Christ, which is far better. I've always wondered where that expression, between a rock and a hard place, came from. I think that's it, right there. Paul has found himself between a rock and a hard place. He said, because I've got these two choices, right? If I die, I get to go to heaven and enjoy my reward. If I live, I get to continue to preach the gospel. And you know what? These are both really good things. These are two really good things. So Paul says it doesn't really matter which one happens. Because either way, I win. Either way, I win. But he says, so having a desire to depart to be with Christ, which is far better, and so 
You know, you, you, see, you see this sometimes when people are advertising goods. They said, if you could buy this product, this is good. But if you buy this product, this is a little bit better. But you can buy this product, and this is the best. So that's the way Paul looked at his, his life there, right? He said, it, it would be good if I died and went to heaven. It would be better if I was able to live and continue to praise Christ. But whatever God chooses is what's going to be best for my life. He says, that, that's what I'm looking forward to. That's what I have to look forward to. He says, but to depart and be with Christ, which will be far better. Nevertheless, he said, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. More needful for you. Why, why would Paul's living be needful to the saints in Philippi? because he can continue teaching them. He says already he wants to make another trip there. He wants to go back to the church and make contact again with the church. But also think about the love that they have for Christ, they have for Paul. That's the support that they've given Paul throughout his ministry, right? He said, if, if I die, that's going to cause probably a lot of sorrow and heartbreak for Christians in Philippi. They will be sorrowful because of the loss of Paul. But he said, you know what? He says, it's more, more important to you for me to live so that I can come back and I can continue to teach, I can continue to preach, the church can continue to grow. And he said, and you will not be grieved by my passing. You will, that will be one burden you don't have to bear if I'm able to live and do that. Verse 25, he says, and being confident of this, confident of this I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. So once again, Paul points to the fact that living a Christian life should be joyful for each and every one of us. And he said, for you, brethren in Philippi, uh, he says, I, 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 I can only look forward to the day when I'm released from this, uh, this, this, these chains, when I stand before magistrate and I'm freed, and I'm free to go back to Philippi, and I get to come back to the brethren, I can only imagine what joy that will bring you. But you know what? Also, Paul would be able to say, and what joy that will bring me. To be able to go back to the church that he established in Philippi, and to see those brethren and see how they've grown and how they've stood fast. Paul points out in this chapter here, he said, it's not, it's not going to all be easy. You're going to have adversaries. There's going to be those who stand against you. Those are going to be those who, who, who make accusations against Christians and make accusations against the church. And he says, you need to stand firm on, on, on the truth that you know, on the gospel that you have, so that you can combat those things when they come. Listen, folks, Satan has never stopped oppressing the church. He's never stopped oppressing you as a Christian. He, he's going he's gonna to lay every snare, every kind of a stumbling block he can possibly lay in front of you to cause you to stumble and lose your faith. So Paul would say you're going to have to stand firm. In verse 26, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ and by my coming to see you again. Once again, he says, when I'm free, when I'm free to come and go as I please, and when I'm able to come back to Philippi, it's going to give you great pleasure 
to see me there, and it's going to also give me great pleasure to see you there too. So he sees, he sees that he's rejoicing about that. He's looking forward to that. He said, this is my expectation. This is what I assume is going to happen. This is what I want to happen. Verse 27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So that's where Paul starts talking about how they need to live their lives. What, what do the Christians in Philippi need to be doing now, e even today, to stand against their adversaries? He said, you need to study. You need to continue to be strong in the faith. You need to do all those things that you can. He says, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. That gospel which saved them from their sins. Paul says, you, you need to live a life that shines so that people can see Christ Jesus living in you. Just as hopefully they see Christ Jesus living in me. That's the kind of life. It needs to be a worthy life. Even today, when we think about all that's been done for you and I by Jesus Christ, but all the things that is done for the church, all the things that are supplied to us by the Spirit, we should be so happy about that that we would live a life that's different than other people in the world. Yeah. People should be able to look at our lives and know something is about the way you live, something about the way that you talk, Something about the way that you walk, the way you conduct business, the way you treat your family, the way you treat your fellow men. Something about you stands out and makes me wonder what's going on or makes other people wonder what's going on. And, you know, maybe it's something I should know about. Maybe, hopefully, even we'll get a chance to talk to people about that as we live our life together. So he talks about our conduct. And, and we should be concerned about our conduct. We should be concerned about how we live our life and what do people see in us as we live our life. What do people see? How, are, are we living a life that's different than other people or are we just pretty much like everybody else that lives in this world? Not concerned about other people, not concerned about helping the poor, not, not treating people though we should, but taking advantage of people. So he says, conduct your life in a way that's worthy of the gospel so that Interestingly, Paul says, in, in the event that I don't come, in the event I don't get there, let's suppose as I stand before a magistrate, I'm convicted, and I'm, I even had to die, and I'm not going to get to come. He said, you live your life worthy of the gospel, even if that happens, regardless of what happens to me. And he says, he says, I... I uh, whether I'm absent, I may, I may hear of your affairs or that you stand fast in one spirit. So Paul says, you know, whatever happens to you in Philippi, I'm going to hear about it. it. I may be a prisoner here still in Rome. I may still be here. But I'm going to hear the news about what's going on in the church in Philippi. And when I hear it, I want it to be good news. I want it to be great news. I want to hear about how you stood firm against your adversaries, how you stood united together in one spirit, how you stood on the gospel, how you proclaimed the gospel, how you didn't let anything in this world keep you from living the kind of life that you need. I'm just about out of time. 
I'm just about out of verses too. He says, uh, in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What is the, the faith of the gospel? The faith of the gospel is that everything that's incorporated in a faith that produces the good news, or the good news that produces that faith. All that stuff, all that stuff that's together. He said, I want to find out that you're standing firm in that. And he says in verse 20, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. Paul says, you're going to have some oppression. And he said, it could be very well the same type of oppression that I had when I was there in Philippi and that I'm having today in Rome. And who was that oppression from? The government. Whenever Paul was arrested in Philippi, I remember for, for casting out the demon of the, lady, of the girl that was following him, Silas, you know, and proclaiming him to be God's spokesman, and Paul turns around and casts out that spirit from that girl. He's in prison for that. It's the government that's been oppressing, oppressing Paul. And he says, they, they haven't stopped. And, and they haven't stopped oppressing me now. They still do that. And he said, and they will continue to oppress you too. As a Christian, as you live a Christian life, you're going to be oppressed. I don't know if that was a telephone or a bell. Anyway. All right. Um, he says, this, but he, you know, he points out the fact that as a Christian, you're going to suffer. Remember, whenever we read back over the book of Acts chapter 9, Jesus told Ananias when he said, this is my special servant who's going to speak before kings and, and he's going to speak before important people and I will show him all the things he's going to have to suffer for the cause of Christ. Paul says to the Philippians church here, he says, verse 29, he says, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. It's okay to suffer if we suffer for the cause of Christ, right? If, if we suffer for wrongdoing, we get what we deserve. But if we suffer by doing right and living the right kind of lights, that's going to be counted as righteousness for us. That's going to be, they said, it's a good thing to suffer for the cause of Christ. He also points out the fact that he said, you were given the opportunity, verse 29 says, for you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him. Well, how did that happen? From Paul's preaching tour. From Paul going to Philippi and, and preaching the gospel and teaching them the good news about Jesus and converting those and setting up the church. They, they were granted that opportunity to hear the gospel. And Paul wants that to continue. Verse 30 says, For having the same conflicts which you saw in me, and now hear in me also. So Paul struggles. He, he, he is locked up in prison. He is a prisoner. But even as a prisoner, he gets to preach and teach the gospel. He's still happy about that. But Paul says, I could do so much more if I was turned off, if I was turned free, if I was released, if I was able to walk away from here there's even a lot more good that I could continue to do. So he says, having this same conflict which you saw in me, and Paul knows that he, people are seeing him, the life that he's, and there are probably, probably a lot of Christians all over the world, and Philippi probably especially, are looking at what's happened to Paul and thinking to themselves, 
Oh my goodness. Look at poor Paul. He's a prisoner in Rome. Look at him. He's locked up. We're free. And Paul is saying, hey, God gives me the opportunity to continue to preach the gospel even as a prisoner. He knew what suffering was all about, didn't he? And he was suffering for the cause of Christ and he was proud to be able to do it. We got through the last verse. Any comments, questions, concerns, thoughts you want to share on chapter 1? As I tell my classes where I teach, I take that silence as a note. I, I hope I'm right about that. We're going to continue our study on Philippians next week. We'll start to look at chapter 2. Probably one of the most beautiful chapters in God's Word. To read about how our suffering Savior and what he did for you and I whenever he gave up his place in heaven to come to earth and live as a man. Hope to see you next Wednesday night.